0: We've been speaking and, and thinking lately about Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of our faith. He's the, our Lord. He's the King of the universe. He's the, the reason why uh, new life uh, in, in the midst of a very difficult, sometimes painful life is possible, and uh, sometimes, as, as we do in churches, sometimes we need to take a moment to And walked on this earth and became our Lord, or are we sometimes uh, maybe off of trajectory? Have we missed Him? Have we forgotten Him? Have we forgotten who He is and what He has for us? And so, this year at Grassroots, we're taking the whole year and who He was, who He was in His day and age. The testimony of his followers about how he made the best sense and the most meaning of that their life had ever understood, and uh, how to follow him—the the real Jesus, not the one that we tend to make up—and uh, uh, so, how do we follow him? That's that's the question. And so, we've been talking through this for for a couple weeks now, and um, we've been talking specifically in the past couple weeks about healing. Jesus, Jesus was a healer. He went around, and you kind of see in this picture here, this is a, under, underneath this, this uh, cloak there, Jesus is calling up a man who had been sick and, and unwell for many decades of his life, and he's calling him up into healing. And I like the, the picture. Jesus, you're not going to be able to heal him. Of course, Jesus does. So, and we'll get, we'll get to that story in good time. That, that's not the story we're talking about today. But as Jesus went around proclaiming himself as king, king of Israel and king of the universe, if we really get into the kind of historical context of his day, we see that Jesus was more like a political candidate going around staking his platform then he was a wise guru or a religious teacher. That's In in his day and age, that's how he would have been taken as a a political candidate. And so he's saying things like, okay, you have Israel's kings and governors, and you have Caesar who's ruling the world empire, but I'm king. Follow me. And he's got to back that up, right? Because if I came to you today and said, "Um, all right, today I announced to you that I am now, as of this moment, Prime Minister of Canada. There's, no, there's been no election, none of that. I, I'm, I'm Prime Minister. And I said, now uh, follow me, and actually in, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to send you out all across Canada to let people know. Would you would you do it? Probably not. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> um, but for Jesus, he was. that's what he was doing. That's what he was saying. And he had to back it up, right? He had to, gives some sort of evidence that he was was king. And so he went around doing signs and wonders. And it's not just bigger than that. It was far more like he was saying, in my kingdom, what my kingdom is about is far bigger than any kingdom you'd ever imagine. In my kingdom, the, the world will finally be fully healed. God will come back and and healing and and fullness and uh, healing from our social sicknesses and our emotional sicknesses and our psychological problems and our uh, bodily issues and our relationship problems. All of those things are covered in my kingdom and they will all be healed. So he's going around doing a lot of these things proclaiming his kingdom. And I talked about this last time. By the way, if you're interested in catching up on the previous eight sermons on Jesus, you can catch them. They're all online on the podcast on the, on the um, website. So you can find them there. But last time I gave this list, he was healing people who are demon-possessed. He was healing various sicknesses, fever, dropsy, which I didn't know what that was last week. I've Googled it since. Uh, is the, the retaining of fluid. The retaining re- Compromises, healing blindness, healing the crippled, healing those who were unable to speak, who had suffered with ulcers. They had inability to hear that withered hand uh, personal and emotional, people who are in destructive lifestyles with destructive impulses and unwise living. He healed them and brought them out of that. People, and we talked about this last time, people who are caught in deep cycles of unforgiveness. will talk a little bit more about that this week. People who were so Doing some stuff, and we know this was partly true, not just because the gospels tell us, but the gospels also tell us that his opponents, the people, the religious leaders of the day, were accusing him of being in league with Satan. So he'd go and he'd heal someone, and they'd be like, "Well, we don't agree with his teachings. We don't understand the God he's giving us. So if he has this power, it must be from the devil." That's what. Right? That's how that goes. So uh, Jesus was a healer and doing some very dramatic stuff. And we have these, it's, it's amazing to listen to, but we have these deep questions inside of us that go like this. Well, why don't we see more healings? Why don't we see more miracles? Why can't we do what Jesus was doing? Is it that we don't have enough faith? Is it that we don't have enough power? Is God still strong enough? Does he still... Healings, and we're going to be getting into those questions this week a little bit in the coming weeks for sure. Um, so last week we talked a little bit about this this point here, the deep cycles of unforgiveness. If you're lost, if you are. Vulnerable. If you are far from God in a vulnerable place, Jesus is the type of shepherd that will leave ninety-nine behind to come find you. If uh, if uh, you are far from God, if if your if your life is filled with brokenness and you can't quite seem to get it together, God is. She'll say. Yeah, I'll, I'll find that someday. This is the type of God that lights a lamp, overturns everything until he finds you. And uh, finally, the third story was this, this great story that we, we, we think about with uh, a, a father who had two sons. And one of them uh, was a renegade son and basically spit in his father's face and went off to, to live and uh, wasted all of his life and came to deep brokenness. And the God... That we follow is not the God who has his arms crossed, I told you so, kind of father. He's the type of father that any sign of movement back towards him will be met with deep compassion and a running towards us. And this is the type of God that helps us understand this connection, this very real... ...deep unforgiveness. If we, if we haven't forgiven ourselves for something or if we haven't forgiven someone else for something that this can begin withering us. It can uh, make us literally sick. Uh, This weight of unforgiveness and how unforgiveness is about debts. The best metaphor to help us understand what goes on in unforgiveness is debts. Someone owes you something. They've stolen something from you and it may be monetary or physical, but it may also be emotional or relational. Someone has taken something from you and you can't You can't forgive them, and and physical healings. But if our ears are really listening to what he's saying, he's saying across the board: there's a connection between our only response and our only response to be freed from the weight of unforgiveness that causes emotional, and sometimes even very physical sickness, is to say to feel that release? You don't owe me the money that you said you'd pay me back. You don't owe me a father. You don't owe me a brother. Just to stress this, our sins... And other people's sins account for a lot of our brokenness. Right? I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Just take a moment. Where is the, are the places of your own life where you feel deeply broken, deeply hurt, deeply wounded? And a lot Whether it's abuse or neglect or something that we've done to ourselves or to other people and we've just never forgiven ourselves. And Jesus is saying, you can't heal many diseases without a deep forgiveness of sin. We talked more about that. We talked about that last week in detail of what sin is and how that works. This week, we turn our attention to a story of a a woman who embraced Jesus. I'm going to set this up for us here, and then we'll dive into the scriptures. right along the same line of the prodigal son. Um, A few things that we need to know as we get into this story uh, is this. She's going to have something that's called an alabaster jar. She's going to come in, and in this jar is perfume. And it's going to be something that would probably be worth like a year's wages. I mean, you have worked for a whole year. And you have, you have bought something. And this is with this, how expensive this perfume was. A religious leader. He had Jesus over for dinner. It was a dinner party that we're walking into here. Simon the Pharisee was a guy who was concerned about purity, about people being holy and whole and obedient to God. And you know what? Jesus is, that was Jesus' platform as well as a candidate. He wasn't going around telling people, well, whatever you do, I'll write a blank check. He was going around wanting healing and purity and obedience and following God as well, but he was doing it in a very different way and with a group of people that the religious leaders had no interest in. So there's a party. There's going to be a woman with an alabaster jar. There's a guy named Simon the Pharisee. They're going to come in, and at the meal we understand that when you host someone in this culture, what happens is they come into your house, and you, they, you kick off your sandals by the door. And, and in that day and age, uh, you know, you, you're not driving very much because there's well, no cars around. And you come in, and a good host is going to have some water there to help you get your feet clean. Uh, a good host is going to give you a kiss. I don't know how that all worked out, but... That's the culture, the Middle Eastern culture. And, um, and even at some points as, you know, and I don't know about hair. I mean, this is their culture, okay? Don't ask me. Um, so it's, it's a party. It's a, it's a dinner party. And, and, and as they're in this dinner party, as they're beginning to, to have their first course perhaps, uh, we, 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 uh the, the scene gets set that a woman walks in. Jesus had been, been uh, this, this healer, this great king is in town. And uh, she's going to break all sorts of customs and norms to get herself to the healing presence of Jesus. So here we go. Let's, let's read this. and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were truly a king, a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner." Jesus answered him, "Simon, I have people owed money, and here we are. Here we are again, in the owing." She's like, he's, now he's talking to her in third person. She's right there. You see this woman, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not... Put story. It's a very powerful experience that Jesus had here. And he's saying so much about his, who he is, his platform, and his kingship. And I'm going to go back here and just take a a few points. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to the house, he was eating there, right? And so uh, in came a woman who lived a sinful life. Um, This probably means that she... um, she had been with a lot of men. That's pretty basically what that would have meant in that, that day and age. Uh, someone known to have been with a lot of men. Um, and in a way that probably spoke to her own brokenness, her own abandonment, her own abuse or neglect as a human being that brought her into a place where she had to, for whatever important to stress this. There are a lot of women in Jesus' life who lived sordid lives and Jesus healed them and brought him into their midst. Now, there's a lot of women in Jesus' life who were the heroes of the story as well. Mary, his mother, being the prime example. I mean, when the great priest Gabriel came to him saying, I have a plan for you. His basic point was, prove it to me. Like, Prove it to me. It was this great moment of unbelief. When the angel came to Mary, Mary was basically like, even though this is going to ruin my life, do unto me as you will, God. Mary is a major hero in the story. There are a lot of great, great uh, men in Jesus' life as well. Uh, um, some of his disciples turned. Uh, As well, a lot of guys who screwed things up. Um, So I think that I just want to mention that as we go into the story because it's easy, I think, in our own culture, our own society, to just begin thinking that Jesus is talking about all women. It's not an all-women thing. This is a a woman who in her particular woman who was very broken and uh, she had lived a sinful life. Um, so, and she came with her alabaster jar, and she she wiped Jesus' parable about someone owing something to her sins, and forgive her, and she's going to. This profound statement, your, 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 your faith has saved you. This is huge. Like, in my sight, says Jesus, this woman is restored. It's a very profound thing, just in that moment. But what had brought her to this moment? What, what had she not been forgiven of? What did, what did uh, she need to forgive others for? I mean, think about it. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but we can imagine a woman in this position of life, perhaps a father, or a brother, or an uncle, whatever male figure in her life let her down, uh, she probably, uh, she probably they, they took something from her, right? They took her dignity. They took her worth away from her. And as she went about living her life, she, she made these destructive, impulsive choices that probably took dignity away from other people. And you see how this works. It's like slavery, it spreads from one person to another, and this is the world that we live in. And I'm not going to go too much deeper into this, but I just wanted to go this far into it because I think all of us sitting here could pinpoint people in our lives and pinpoint uh, people in our histories who either have taken something from us and, and put upon us uh, onto a journey, onto a path of destruction, or we can point, if we're really honest, to the other people who we set on the path of destruction as well. Okay, we're deep down into human experience, and God's not too small for this. He goes down to these depths as well, and he heals. Her debt has been forgiven. Therefore, at the end, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The last thing I want to do here today is to To go a little bit further into her actions. What has she done? This woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. She poured perfume on his feet. And she embraced him with a great love. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? See, this Jesus is saying, I want to heal this woman. She's got lots of problems, but I've got to go to the very heart of the matter. Um, I've got to go to the, the complex of her sins. And then Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And today, as we continue to... To dive into this message, this, this man, this king, this person that we follow, we have to ask ourselves about our own emotional and personal healing. We all need it. Like if you walk into a church community and you leave with the impression that everyone has a kind of a righteous put together life and it's all going well for them, you're just seeing their clothes or their hair or their smile. You're not see. We we all have deep personal and emotional healing to, to go through. And that's part of why we follow this Jesus, because he offers it. He's powerful enough to give it. And we have to ask the question well, what does it look like? First of all, she's broken and humbled. She's, she doesn't come in with her fists up telling Jesus to, to forgive her. It's completely opposite. She's going to go make a fool of herself in front of everyone who knows what she is and has done. She's, she's, got, she's got no pretenses left up with the same humility, with the same brokenness, with the same realization that if we're going to ever be healed from the thing that sickens our life and sickens our mind and sickens our hearts, we've got to get to Jesus. And we, partly we do that on, on Sunday mornings. I mean, we're, we're here uh, to rejoice and to praise definitely. But we're told in the scriptures that even though God is everywhere, he's all over the earth. We can, he can be found in every, in, in every corner of the world says Psalm 139. You can't go far enough to get away from him. Somehow when his people gather in worship, he, mysteriously his presence is thickened. His presence is is more palpable. And so we come on Sunday mornings and we're not just here to have a social club. It's nice to have friends and it's nice to um, have support in this journey, this faith journey. But we come and the, the music and the, and the preaching and the pre- of the universe and be healed we come in and we we come here even though it's sometimes hard to get here on a weekend we come anyway over and over and over again because we believe that as we press our hands into this midst of uh, of, of of a god that we cannot see we trust that he's pressing back and as he presses back into our palms into our hearts we, we open ourselves with the same humility and the same brokenness saying, God, I want to be healed. And and though sometimes he chooses to zap and, and heal us and turn us around, oftentimes it takes months and years of deep humility and brokenness before God um, ultimately, and, and he's always doing it, I believe, but ultimately we wake up one day and we go, you know what? Uh, two years ago, three years ago, I was a, I was a That's true for us today as well. You know, we 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 come into this place and we ask ourselves, what would it look like, or what does it look like in, in the community or, or in our personal life to wet Jesus' feet with our tears? You know, that tears. You know, i sometimes I push my eyes right here and turn, turn, when I'm starting to cry, I get the tears back in the ducks, you know, like <laughs> hold it together. We need to cry. We need to wet Jesus' feet with our tears in our, in our brokenness and humility. And I cry, my daughter said to me yesterday, Daddy, do you cry? It's like, oh, I've failed somewhere. <laughs> um, I've cried a lot in my life, but mostly it's in a safe spot where no one else can see me. We need to bring ourselves into the presence of God in our own lives, in our own houses, in our houses of worship, and we need to cry the tears Uh, that bring us in humility and deep need to Jesus' presence. Now, I know there's a lot of us in this room today. We mentioned earlier that there was a funeral in the community yesterday. That's why the flowers are around. Going forward from this point on as a community of grassroots, um, there's going to be a lot of need for emotional and personal healing. I believe that some of that will come through crying and getting it out and crying. And, um, but we, we need to constantly come into the presence of Jesus who will soothe us and give us our safety and give us um, the, the space it is, the space that we need to be healed. He will heal us. He, he's a healer. That's one of his major traits. She kisses him. I'm not sure what it is to kiss Jesus when you can't see him or touch him. Uh, but it is taking a step towards him and expressing your love and, and your, your honor to him as a king. Whatever, what does that look like in your life? It's probably different for everyone in this room. Uh, what about putting oil on, on his head? I think this goes beyond hair product. I think this goes on to the oil of anointing that a king gets you know and when, when, when Sam, the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament went and made Jesus' ancestor David King, he went with like a ram's horn full of oil to anoint Jesus over the head. imagine just taking like a whole bottle of olive oil and pouring it over your head that's that's Kingly, (laughs) a kingly blessing. That's what they would have done. Uh, Pouring pouring oil. This is constantly giving our allegiance to Jesus. Constantly saying, you are my king. I've devoted my whole life to you. To the healing that Jesus has for us. Um, I can attest in my own life, uh, I've got a lot of brokenness that still needs healing. I've got a lot of stuff that I look at in the, the mirror and I don't like. And I'm like, God, could you just heal that? Um, because someone in my life owed me something, and they took it away from me. My track record, and I think, I took a lot of stuff from a lot of people. But I've been at this healing thing for 10 years or so now. And a lot of who I am today and my ability to stand here and to lead you on as a community and my ability to be a good father and a husband and a friend is only because I've over and over again, uh, with tears, come to the throne of God, proclaiming my allegiance and asking him to heal me. And he's brought me through some amazing, amazing years of healing. And... um, you talk to Eve, she might be willing to tell you. But the, the person I am today, um, um, because, uh, because of Jesus' healings in my life, because his touch in my life, um, I'm, I'm more whole than I ever could have imagined. So um, that's, my, that's my thought for today. What does it look like to take, to take the cue of this woman who courageously came into the presence of God And found deep healing. Woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And ultimately, when we have healing, that's the conclusion. A deep, settling peace. In the healing that God gives personally, uh, a great peace pervades. Prayer and worship time uh, is a space for you. Where do you need healing today? What are those things that you know in you that needs needs putting back together and making right? Part of this is you coming to the table here and proclaiming to God, "I am your. I, I have a, you have my allegiance. I follow you." Part of needing healing. It's putting that in God's hands in this moment. Um, This is space for that. When the songs are being sung, we're not just sort of following along with the words. We're using them as it creates space for us to press up in our hearts and minds um, into the presence of God and worship. And I believe that worship, and as we give God allegiance and, and praise, I believe that's one of the most healing things that we can do. So every, every week, every Sunday, the space is here to do this work. And uh, I'm delighted to be part of a worshiping community. So as we turn our attention to this table, as we do every week, we do it because Jesus uh, instructed us to. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It's one of the last meals he had with his followers. This is my body, broken for you. And the point is this. Jesus is looking each one of us in the eyes and saying, I know you're broken, but I'm going to become broken too so that you can be put back together. This is my blood shed for you. I'm going to suffer the greatest suffering in all of the universe that can be imagined so that you can be lifted up from your suffering. So we come every week. He says to do this, dip the the bread into the the wine, the juice in this case, and, um, and take it in. Take this to be in, in, your very, in your very DNA, so to speak. And so here we are once again at the table. I'm not sure what it is God has said to you today or what he's inspiring in your hearts. But I know it's probably something. Um, so whatever it is today that God is saying to you or inviting you uh, to say to him or to, to say to one another or to bring into his presence, I invite you to do that now at this table with his broken body and his shed blood. So the table is set and everyone here is welcome.